Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It's the Son of a Butch podcast. I'm your host, Claude Harmon. This week's guest, Ashley Buhai, the 2022 Women's British Open champion. It's her first major. And um, what a cool story. Um, just, I watched, she, she wins in a playoff. The playoff goes, you know, four holes. She's going up against a major champion, one of the best players in the world. And um, just, what a story. What a, what a life-changing event. Um, you know, life-changing event from winning a major, which she talks about, to the prize of, of winning a million dollars, which is life-changing for her. Um, and uh, it was just, it was a really, really fun tournament to watch on a great golf course, um, Muirfield. And um, I think it was a really, really good performance. And um, if you don't know a lot about Ashley, that's why I wanted to get her on the podcast because um, I'm a fan and I watched that playoff and, and afterwards I was really, really impressed. I um, want to thank everybody for listening to the first episode of Son of a Butch last week with my dad, Butch Harmon. If you haven't checked it out, check it out. Lots of stuff to talk about from that. But I'm really excited for everybody to hear Ashley Buhai and for everyone to hear her story and her journey to becoming a major champion. So my guest is the 2022 Women's British Open champion, Ashley Buhai. I hope I got that right. Yep, all good. <laughs> um, I mean, your week out from winning, I'm sure the last week has been somewhat of a whirlwind. Um, I've been lucky enough to be work with players that have won major championships. I don't think the fans realize that um, not only how much winning one of those emotionally takes so much out of you, but also all of the stuff that goes along with winning one. Obviously, great problems to have, but um, it still takes a lot of hard, a lot of work. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, you know, a lot of time management. I think that's going to be something I'm going to have to learn to do a little bit better. Um, might be a few more things asked of me when I get to tournaments, but, you know, it's been a very busy week. Also, there's a lot of uh, press out of South Africa and with the six-hour time change, I was waking up early to do those interviews and then had interviews locally here in the U.S. So, But like you said, it's all good problems to have. I mean, are you still kind of pinching yourself that for the rest of your life, you will be called <laughs> a major champion? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, when I think about that and, you know, I said to my husband, the cool thing is nobody can ever take that away from you. So um, to be called a major champion, it's, it's a dream come true. I mean, and listen, there are, there are golf courses that you win majors on and then there are golf courses that you win majors on. Gary Player in 1959, Ernie Els in 2002. I was there in 2002 when Ernie won. The weather was um, atrocious on the on the Saturday, but it's almost like those two kind of trailblazers for South African golf. For you to win another major or win a major championship, your first at a venue where two of the icons of of South African golf have won before. That I mean, it's almost like there are times where things line up, and and it's like yeah. it lined up for you. Yeah, there definitely are times like that. Um, you know, like I said, they were my idols growing up and, you know, it was huge for us for the first time to be able to go to Murfield, um, the women's game, and for me to be the first female winner there. And again, alongside Gary and Ernie. There were a lot of things when I look back now that, you know, sometimes it's a little aerial, however you want to look at, that maybe it was just meant to be my week. And I think it's 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 important to to say that, was it 2017 was the first time that they, allowed, I think it was 2017, the first time they started to allow women to be members at Muirfield. It was, it was a staunchly, staunchly men-only club. Um, were all of you um, that were playing there conscious of the fact that this was obviously a major championship venue for the guys, but 
for the for the ladies to be there for the first time and and to be the one that won the first one as a woman there that that that's also I mean that's that's you said in one of your interviews the times are changing and and um, listen I was there in 2002 and then when Phil won in 2013 um, that place can be kind of stuffy um, it was kind of <laughs> the one in the rota that everybody kind of knew that you know your field um, you know at times they can be not the most user friendly especially. Um, um, if you're a female. Yeah, you know, we're, like you said, times are changing. And um, I think they've obviously realized that. And in order to get back on the open roster, they knew what they had to do and provide us with an opportunity to play there. And I'll tell you one thing, we didn't feel unwelcome the whole week. They were fantastic. Um, they opened us, they welcomed us with open arms. Um, and Obviously, you know, being there, what a fantastic golf course. And I think, say, it's even, it's one of the fairest links golf courses I've played, but obviously it's the history and how old it is and, you know, it just creates this aura around it. And for me to be able to call myself the first female women's open champion there, um, I know I'll go down in history forever. It is a very, very difficult golf course. You said that it is very, very fair. When you got there, um, had you played there before? You, had you ever seen the golf course before? Or had you only seen it on maybe television? And Yeah, only seen it on television. Um, my husband, he carries out an LPGA tour. He'd managed to play it a few weeks before that. And he told me it's going to be firm and fast, which is what I was excited about. Um, and then once I got there, I just loved the look of it, the layout and how it was playing from the first day. I think one of the things... Lynx golf is almost, it seems like at times, an equalizer because there are golf courses, if you have a, a tremendous amount of length off the tee, it gives you a huge advantage. If, you know, short game, if the rough is thick, similar to a U.S. Open style, um, you're not nearly short, but you're certainly not one of the mm -hmm. bombers of the LPGA yeah. game. So I think one of the things I like about the Open Championship is that it does test every single part of your game that you have to be able to have all of the shots. So when you got there and you kind of saw that it wasn't going to be a bomber's paradise, that length wasn't necessarily going to be a huge advantage. All of a sudden it's like the, the playing field is, is leveled. When that happens actually as a player, when you say, okay, listen, I don't feel like I have to do things I can't this week. I feel like everybody is kind of push towards the middle as opposed to pushed kind of short hitters, long hitters. Does that give you a lot of, does that take the pressure off? Does that give you more confidence? What's the kind of mindset when you get to a golf course where you say, listen, everybody's got a chance this week, not just these kind of players. Yeah. For starters, I've always loved links golf. And like I said, I think it does even the playing field. Um, I'm not a bomber. And for me, links course is about plotting your way around and, you have to be smart. And that's kind of golf that wins tournaments on, on links courses. So we work, my coach and I, Doug, we, we work very hard on having an arsenal of shots in, in my bag. And I feel that Open Championship is always catered towards that and favors me. Um, and also, I love to be creative and have to have that imagination. And when the wind blows and you're able to run it up and you don't have to fly it at the pin, I think it definitely does favor me. And that's why I always love every time I stand up at, at a Women's British Open, I just get a really good feeling about it. You know, one of the things I've heard, um, you know, some of the guys, uh, you know, when they go to the Open Championship, they always say that it kind of makes them feel like because the challenge is so different, because it does test all the different aspects of your game. It almost, I mean, DJ was saying this year he had a chance to win at, at St. Andrews this year at the Open Championship. He said he kind of likes Lynx golf because it makes him focus more because he feels like he can't take any holes off because every tee shot mm -hmm. kind of demands that you say, okay, where do I want to be on the green? What Do you feel like that as well, that it kind of makes you focus maybe a little bit more that you can't take some holes off? Yeah, definitely. Um, and Murfield in particular was like that. You know, every tee shot you've got to stand up, you've got to commit and hit the shot. Lucky for us, the wind was the same direction every day. So I just try to emulate and hit the same shot every day off every tee shot um, that I had. So, uh, you know, and I also think you have to have that concentration, um, like you said. And I don't know, there's just something about Leagues Golf that I just love. It's, and I think. 
I don't know, it's also the history about it. You know, it's where, and especially playing in Scotland, it's where the game started. And I'm a golf nerd, so I just love it. What kind of golf course did you grow up on? Did you grow up on a golf course that had some Lynx characteristics to it, which, which is why you like Lynx golf? No, not at all. I grew up in Johannesburg. I mean, we're at altitude. The ball goes forever. Uh, Parkland, Kukui Fairways, and, and Bank Green. So <laughs> nothing like links courses at all. Um, let's go back to the beginning. What got you? What got you into golf? Were you into other sports? When did you start playing? What was kind of the catalyst that that got you towards this path of being a professional golfer? Um, yeah, from a young age, I always had very good hand-eye coordination. Uh, my parents picked that up and loved all sports. Um, could hit, you know, South Africa, we played cricket. That was, um, so it's like picked up a cricket bat or a baseball bat. I could catch a ball. My dad was like, well, let me see if she can hit a golf ball because <laughs> he, he, he plays and um, I could. And then, you know, at the age of three, I was hitting balls. And about the age of six, I was saying to my dad, let's go play golf. Let's take me to the driving range. So it always came from me, but I played um, tennis and field hockey at school until the age of 16, but I knew from a young age that golf was going to be it, and I wanted to be a professional golfer. Did I read this correctly? When you were 14 years old, you won the, in 2004, you won the Women's South African Open at 14? Yeah, at my home course. <laughs> it was, I mean, nobody expected it. I shot 63 on the last day on my home course to, to come from behind and win it. Um, and at the time, there was a bunch of uh, ladies European tour players. They come down. They would play the four events in South Africa that time of year because the weather was still bad in Europe. So that was kind of the the start of it for me. And then um, went on to win some professional tournaments in South Africa as an amateur every year until I turned pro at 18. Do you even remember as a 14-year-old what you were thinking going into, you know, the, the, the national championship of, of your country? Um, you're 14, I'm sure – Nobody, I mean, even as if even if you're a really good junior, I'm sure nobody expects mm -hmm. a 14 year old to win their national open at such a young age. Definitely not. Um, I was just the fact that I'm playing at my home course, this is so cool. And I remember obviously signing my card and shooting 63, and uh, I was hanging out with my buddies and we were having a coke afterwards. And next day, somebody came and told me you've won, and I was like, Excuse <laughs> me, <laughs> and they had to come get me for the prize giving, so it was all a little surreal. You know, I was part um, when back in the day, I used to work with Trevor Immelman, who's still one of my very mm -hmm. good friends. And Trevor won back-to-back -back SA Opens at his yeah. home course, Aaronville. Yes, so I'd Aaronville. never really been to South Africa. I went down, I stayed with Trevor. We rented a house in Somerset West that week. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, he was going to that golf course. And it was like, he was like, listen, I know every single shot on this golf course. I know where all the, the, the putts break. And I mean, when you play a, a big tournament at your home course, regardless of what age you're at, do you feel like it kind of takes a little bit of the pressure off to where you say, listen, I'm, I've played here a million times. I kind of know what this golf course does. I think yes and no, because obviously there's an expectation from everybody around you to do well with it being your home course. But I think also you play the course as it is, like you would on a Saturday or Sunday. Um, Whereas I think when we play tournaments, we really go into the details and, you know, try to figure out where to exactly hit it. But when you play it so much, it just naturally stands out and jumps out at you. And that's what you try to do. So you're 14 years old. You win, you know, the South African Women's Open. Did that make you think, okay, um, I can go on and do this. This is where my pathway is. I, I can be a pro. I can have a career. Was that the thought or did you just say, listen, I'm just going to see what happens and, and see where things take me? Well, I mean, from a young age, like before that, I was telling my parents I wanted to be a professional golfer. Um, so the thought was always there. And then I think winning that tournament against some really good players from Europe at the time obviously made me think, well, I really can do this. Um, and then I went on you know, to win so many tournaments in South Africa, represent South Africa the world am we won the world am in 2006 and um you know it was like a crossroads do i go to college do i turn professional but i knew that i just wanted to play golf so at 18 i made the decision to turn professional and i started off in europe after that did you have any offers to go to college in the states i did i had a few but my grades were never going to be good enough unfortunately <laughs> and like i said you know i was just wanting to play golf and i felt i was ready i'd proven that i could win proven i could win against 
you know, players playing in Europe and that's where I wanted to start off. Um, so I kind of felt that it was the right progression for me. 2007, in your third start on the Ladies European Tour, you win the Catalonia Masters. So, I mean, what a what a progression, right? I mean, most people, it takes them a while to get out on tour, find their feet, but you win in your third tournament. Did Did it feel like, okay, I won at an early age. I won a big tournament. Now I've turned pro. I've won in my third event. Did it just seem like, okay, that's the natural progression? Were you surprised? Were you shocked? What was the feeling, you know, winning so soon on a big stage after you turned pro? Um, yeah, I think it definitely was my thought of, well, this is the progression. This is how it's going to be. And if this is how it's going to be, life's going to be great. <laughs> um, things up until then came relatively easy. But as we all know in this game, it doesn't always work out like we want to. And there's ups and downs and we've got to ride them. Um, and then, you know, that year, it was great because I had the expectation off my shoulders. I'd secured a European tour card for two years. So I knew I could go to LPGA Q school and play free, um, knowing that I had a fallback plan kind of thing. Um, and then I went to LPGA Q school and uh, was in it all the way until the last two holes and finished bogey bogey and missed out by one. And, you know, that that was heartbreak. That year, there was also only, I think, 16 cards. Now they, well, then years after that, there was always guaranteed 20. So that was like the first real heartbreak and hardship that I, that I felt in professional golf. Did you feel like, okay, I need to reset, kind of re- kind of evaluate my goals or did you say, listen, go back to Europe. I'll keep playing. Um, I know my game's good enough because I've always won because a lot of people, you know, they, they do that. They win early. They get that. So the next stage, okay, you're secure in Europe, but obviously everybody wants to play on the LPGA in the States. Did you feel like, okay, do I just keep doing what I'm doing? Did that force you to maybe say, okay, maybe I need to make some changes? Um, no, I kept doing what I was doing that next year. So it was 2008, I conditional status, but I still managed to play 14 events. But it was difficult. I was living in South Africa. You only knew two weeks before if you're in the event, you hop on a plane, you fly over, I'm 18 years old, can't rent a car. You know, it, it was a lot. Um, but hey, it, it made me who I am today. Uh, it showed I had resilience. I went back the next year, got my card, full, full card, and played uh, what 2010 full no 2009 full season but I still wasn't quite quite ready to compete in the LPGA lost my card and then in 2010 I decided all right I'm gonna take a step back I switched coaches and I went back to Europe and played there for three years and did the switch in coaches pay off immediately did you did you see immediate results or was there kind of that kind of period where you're like okay you know maybe switching coaches, big decision, you know, I had success early because I always think that's interesting, Ashley, as, as, as someone that, that is a, as a coach, you know, the thought process from a player standpoint, I mean, I've been, you know, fired by guys that, you know, have been number one in the world. And, um, that process is the player to say, okay, I feel like I've, I've got to make a change. I feel like I've got to get to the next level. Talk me through what that process is like I actually don't think I've ever asked any of the guys that have fired me what, what the process is like because, you know, after a while, you don't really talk to them that much after they fire yeah. you. <laughs> um, for me, it was a, a very difficult decision because my coach at the time is also a very good family friend of ours. I was very good friends with my dad. and But I knew in order for me to progress in my career that I needed to make a change. And, um, you know, at the time it wasn't easy and we were both hurt, but you know, later down the line, he knew that it was the best thing for me. Um, and then in terms of when I switched coaches, that took some time. We had to do a few changes and then it took about a year. And then I won in 2011 again on the Ladies European Tour. Um, so it showed, well, what I was doing was working. And I've been with, yeah, my coach that I'm currently with since then, since 2010. And Doug, I mean, he works with some 
you know, very, yeah. very good players. I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've seen them, you know, on the European tour. I used to see Doug a lot when he used to go over to Abu Dhabi or Dubai with the guys. Um, I think he's done a fantastic job with Eric Van Royen. I mean, I, I love Eric's golf swing, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, it's I, pretty. I, mean I will sit and watch <laughs> Eric hit golf balls. You know, if I'm sitting yeah. on a range and stuff and Eric's hitting balls and I'm waiting for somebody, I'll go stand, you know, 20, 30 yards away and watch Eric hit golf balls. I mean, I think his, his golf swing is, is, is really, really good. So you, you make the change, you go from the coaching change. Um, you win again. So again, more validation that you're on the right path. And, you know, from 2011 until 2022, were there more wins and were there more near misses? Or did you just feel like, okay, I'm just kind of plodding along and just seeing what I can kind of get out of this? Yeah, there was plodding. I mean, I was Pretty consistent, and I mean, I finished top fifteen. I think every year on the on the money list there, so you know, I was competitive. There was a setback in twenty thirteen. I had to have hip surgery, so that put me out a good left six right. months. Left, left <laughs> labrum, and shaved the bone. So I kind of played half of twenty twelve injured, and we knew I needed to get it done. So I did it in the off season, and then yeah, went back to Q school at the end of twenty thirteen and got my card back. Um, and that was the validation. And I was like, okay, now I felt, then I felt like I was really ready to come back and finally play on LPJ full time. When did you make the move from SA over to the States full time? Only during COVID. COVID forced <laughs> us to do it. Um, so with my husband caddying on to me, he caddied for me for eight years. And then when we decided to get married, we thought we'd separate the responsibilities. <laughs> And rather stay married. Um, Smart move. <laughs> no. So, you know, it took a lot of pressure off me um, with us deciding to do that. And then we still had our, our place in South Africa and we would come over for three months and then go back for two weeks because our family is there and we it's just in our blood. But, you know, it, it's not conducive if you want to compete out here and if you want to settle. So his brother lived in Illinois, well, lives in Illinois, so we used that as a base um, in the summer, which was great. But then when the tour got shut down, um, South Africa was completely shut down. We couldn't get in or out. Eventually it was July 2020. We got a repatriation flight up, packed our apartment up in 10 days, put everything in storage and came over. And then when we couldn't get back in the December of 2020, we landed up in Palm Beach Gardens with a host family that we'd stayed with at a tournament uh, up in New York. They had a second home down here. They said, come live with us. And we're like, okay. So we stayed with them for, I think, six weeks. And we thought, well, this is a pretty good spot for golfers. Let's, let's see what we can do. And um, it's, it's been great for us. It's been great for my game. And obviously, you know, being down in this area, so many good golfers and golf courses around here. The move, I mean, the Aussies and the South Africans that play professional golf, well, they're on the men's side or the, or the women's side. I mean, the amount of miles and travel that you, you all are used to doing, now that you don't have to make those big, trips back home because it's not like you can, you know, if you miss a cut, you can just hop, I mean, hop on a plane and go to, you miss the cut, go to SA for a couple of days, see the family, get recharged and then get back on another plane and go back to where it is. I mean, it's just, it doesn't work like that, right? I mean, you've got to plan 10 to 10 day, two week trips and stuff. Has being settled in the US and kind of being able to travel out of one place without all of the long haul, I mean, you still have the long haul flights when you want to go home and see family and friends, but the travel, if you're going to base yourself in the U.S. and travel on, on the LPJ, you still have to go to Asia and, and, and somewhat to Europe. But have you noticed that it's been easier for you to just try and focus on some of the other things that you couldn't focus on when you were traveling so much? Most definitely. Um, you know, those long-haul flights take it out of you and the jet lag. And also for me, I played so much because I didn't have somewhere to go. So I'd be like, oh, I'm going to play seven or eight in a row. I'll just take like Monday and half Tuesday off. And that's not conducive to good tournaments either. So having a base here, having somewhere for me to come in the off weeks, recharge, it's been huge. And this year I've taken a few weeks off more than I would usually, but it's proven, proven to be the best thing because when I have come back, I'm refreshed and I've played better. How how cool is it going to be moving forward as a major champion where you can just sit, look at the LPJ Tour schedule and go, yes, <laughs> yeah. no, no, yeah. yes. I, I don't think people realize that when you're trying to play that many tournaments in a row, 
with no break, with no time off. I mean, you're when you don't have that kind of security, full status, you know that you can kind of set your schedule. I don't think the fans realize how not only f- mentally exhausting that is, but physically exhausting because as an athlete and as a golfer, you need time off. It's it's hugely important to be able to go, okay, I'm going to shut it down for three weeks, go take a vacation or just do nothing. Mm. Yeah, I don't think people do realize, and I've started to realize it as I've gotten older. Um, like I say, I'm 33, and on the LPGA, that's old now. I don't feel very <laughs> old, though. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely it's conducive to good play, and that's what I've started to realize. But before, I just used to play, 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 and it wasn't great. Um, and I think what's going to be so helpful to be able to choose, you know, there's certain courses that suit us and don't suit us, and I'm going to be able to go, well, I've never really performed there. I'm not going to go there instead of forcing myself to go because I need to play and I need to try play well to get up on the CME or keep my card. So, you know, it's huge pressure off my shoulders to be able to pick and choose my schedule going forward. So let's go back to your field, uh, the 54-hole lead, another kind of, you know, worlds colliding in, t- in 2002. Ernie Els, he held the 54-hole lead. Um, I read it was his 51st major it was your 40 or, or 41st. It was your 43rd. You guys both have the list. So you've got a five shot lead. What was, what was your sleep like on Saturday night? Because one of the things that I don't think people, if they've never been to Scotland in the summertime, it's midnight and the sun's not down. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Saturday evening, I was actually pretty good. I calm. We stayed in a house. So I went back and it helps having people around you. We just chilled. We played some Uno. Um, try to go to sleep later so I would wake up later. Yeah, because you're not teeing off later. until... Oh, yeah, I was off at 10 to 4, which is the latest <laughs> I've ever teed off in my life. Um, so, yeah, like, I try to go to sleep later, which I did, but I didn't wake up later. I woke up at, like, quarter past 6. I was like, oh, well, this is going to be a long day. <laughs> so what did and you do? I mean, you, you wake up at 6, you know. 6 a.m., you're mm-hmm. not teeing off until 4. Even if yeah. you say, okay, I'm going to get to golf course three hours before, you're yeah. still getting the golf course, I mean, six hours later. Way too early. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, so yeah, I try to just procrastinate, to be honest. Um, I did laundry to try to just pass the time. And, um, you know, I did, did my pens, went through my yardage book. And then I finally, I got to the course like two and a half hours earlier. It's much earlier than I would normally, but at least that way I'd be surrounded by people, talk to people, you know, just to keep my mind occupied. When you've got a big lead like that, five shots, and also you're saying to yourself, okay, I've got a five shot lead in a major championship. Is it, is it hard to stay, you know, everybody says stay in the present, don't get ahead of yourself. But with that much time and a big lead like that, it's got, it's got to be very difficult to not start thinking ahead as to, okay, I've got a chance to win a major championship, all of the things that go with that, with all of the exemptions. Mm-hmm. I've got a chance to win over a million dollars, which is life-changing on the LPGA Tour to have the opportunity mm-hmm. to win that. Um, were you thinking ahead or were you just staying in the present? Look, it's hard not to think ahead um, as much thinking as you don't new, want thinking to. about that new G-Wagon you're going to buy. <laughs> no, my, my husband was thinking about all the new putters he could buy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's hard not to not to think ahead and, and get lost in it. But, you know, people would have heard me talk about and reference the mental coach I've worked with. And, and he's like, I'm never going to stop you from thinking ahead and going there. But as long as you can quickly come back to the present that's what we're going to work on doing because um, it's impossible to to make you stop that. So, you know, I let myself go there. And then as long as I pulled myself back, the good thing is once I got to the course, I didn't think about that once. I only thought about doing my job and doing it the best I could do that day. So you shoot 75. How was the warm-up? Was the warm-up good? I mean, was the warm-up normal? Did you feel like, okay, I'm in control I've got everything going, even though I've got this big lead and stuff. It's a, it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's an open championship. It's a major. What was the warm up like? The warm up was maybe not as good as the previous days um, because the nerves were there. It's you know you can't get away from them. But you know I just try to focus on doing the one thing well, and that was keeping my rhythm because that's all I try to do the whole week, and that would take me away from thinking about the outcome, and it gave me my one swing thought for the week that I could control. 
Um, but, you know, once I got out there, I finally settled around the fifth hole. And it played tough on Sunday. The pins were tucked. Um, nobody was really making too many birdies. So I felt I was playing very steady, obviously, until that one mishap on 15. All right. So talk us through. You're standing on the 15th tee. You end up making a triple bogey, which brings Inji Chung right back into the tournament. But it, I think the Open more, wouldn't you agree, the, the Open Championship more than any other venue, you can make one bad swing and you get up there and you're like, okay, I know that was a bad swing, but I sure as hell didn't deserve this lie. I mean, yes. I know I made a bad swing, but <laughs> you walk up and you're like, dude, it can't get any worse than this. I mean, there's yeah. not there. So, so when, when you make that shot, you get up to the ball, does your mind start racing? Are you going, or do you just say to yourself, okay, damage control? Yeah, I mean, first of all, when I, I hit it, so it's obviously the worst swing I made all week, but I didn't even know there were bunkers there. That's, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I played that hole, hit it up the right every day, and I hit it and I said to my caddy, what's there? And looked in the book, I'm like, oh, no, there's bunkers. But I thought, oh, well, it's in a bunker. I'll just pop it out and back in the fairway and we'll be okay. But I get up there and it's like half plugged off the bounce up against the face. Cannot go anywhere but left towards the longer rough. Um and then it just all happened so quickly, to be honest. Like, I don't even know how. I didn't even feel like I read. I feel like I made one bad swing on that hole and made a triple. Um, <laughs> you stand on the 15th tee, make one bad swing, and all of a sudden you're standing yeah, on the 16th tee, and you're like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so it almost like it happened so quickly that I actually didn't have time to really, I don't know, rethink it and relive it and just try more to get on with it. So you go to 16th. So, um, um, your caddy, Tanya, who caddied for one of the great golfers of all time, Laura Davies. Mm -hmm. um, I've been lucky enough uh, to meet Laura and, and do some stuff for, for Sky Sports in the UK. I mean, Laura is one of my favorite people. I will sit yeah. and listen to her talk. Um, your caddy, she caddied for, for Laura for a long time. Did she say anything to you on that walk from 15 to 16 that, 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 that you remember? Yeah, she just said to me, okay. All we got to do is get back on it now, go do our job. And that was it. We didn't discuss what happened, didn't discuss the hard break. I looked at the leaderboard and I saw that, all right, I'm now tied with NG. And I said to myself, well, I haven't lost it. I haven't lost the lead. Um, and we just stood on six, uh, 16. I had, a, I think it's six or seven on in my hand and just try to make a good swing. It's it's interesting. Uh, when I worked for Brooks Kepka um, when he won the PGA at... Beth Page, back nine, he had a big lead. He was in dominant control the whole day. DJ makes a run. He made a bunch of bogey. I think he bogeyed like three or four in a row. His caddy, Ricky Elliott, they were going to 16, which is one of the hardest driving holes on the golf course. And Brooks said that Ricky said to him, walking to 16, we are still leading the golf tournament. And he said, Brooks said that Ricky saying that to him, he's just made a bunch of bogeys. It seems like everything's spiraling out. And there was a long walk from 15 green all the way down a hill across the road to 16. And Brooks said one of the, th the great things that Ricky said was, hey, we're still leading the golf exactly. tournament. We make good swings coming down the stretch and we're still mm -hmm. going to have a chance to win this golf tournament. I always think that caddies, the great ones, say the right thing at the right time and don't say anything at the right time as well because my dad's always told me listen he said one of the things that he told me as an instructor he said if you're going to work with professionals tour players he said i think one of the most important things you need to realize is sometimes it's what you don't say that makes all the difference right and so your caddy saying to you listen we're still in you know we're still in the lead that's got to make you kind of go okay, I can put what just happened behind me because I still have a chance to win the golf tournament. I got three holes left. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's where she's so good for me. She's so good at, at keeping me calm in the pressure moments, keeping it lighthearted, making me laugh when I need a laugh and, you know, kicking me in the butt. It doesn't happen very often when I do need a little kick every now and then. We all do. But, uh, yeah, we've got a great relationship. And what she said to me, walking off 15, like I said, we're still in it. She just said, get back on it. And and then when we stood on, what, we stood on 17T and obviously a reachable par five. And she said, okay, I want four good swings going in. You know, if I had two good swings there and two good swings on 18, I still had a chance to win it. So she was very good at saying the right thing at the right time that way. All right. So 
you finish tied, go to a playoff. Inji Chung, I mean, major champion. Um, you know, there's that long drive. You've got to go sign your card. You've got to, then you've got to get in the got to get in the carts and drive all the way back to the 18. And again, it's very similar. Ernie Els won in a playoff on the 18th hole. Um, so talk us through the mindset. Okay, you get to 18. Um, you just played it. Um, I mean, you hit beautiful shots in the playoff um, off the tee. So you put mm-hmm. yourself right in the position that you want to put in. Let's go on the first hole. Yeah, I think obviously what was huge is for starters, I hold that like six footer to make sure I got into the playoffs. So, you know, that was like, all right, we're in this. Let's go. Um, and then I think the tee shot favored me. I mean, it's one of the most demanding tee shots I've ever stood up and had to hit in my career. You know, bunker right. We can't carry it on the fly. Bunkers left. It where We have to land it. It rolls left. And the wind's off the right. But because I hit a little fade, it favored me. And I knew I could just hold it on that wind. And um, I try, like I said, I try to stand up and hit the same shot as I did every day on that hole. Um, and once I got through that, then it was a case of try hit the second shot, which was a little bit more demanding, obviously, having the bunkers on both sides, winding off the right. And, you know, it got cold. Like, I hit six iron in regulation, and then I was hitting seven woods. So it got cold, and the wind picked up a lot in those playoff holes. You're in a match play situation at that point. Um, how much are you just base? Are you trying to stay in my own world? I'm just going to kind of stay locked in, do my own thing, and not really try and be affected by what Inji's doing. Or are you and your caddy, or you and Tony, are you looking and kind of going, okay, she's just done this. Maybe I kind of change my strategy and I'm, maybe I'm going to do this. No, I stayed in my own world. And I think that's what I did so well and why I stayed so calm in that playoff. I mean, I remember even on the, First playoff hole, I didn't even know Inji had hit it in the bunker because I was so focused on she had to hit first and doing what I had to do. Um, so, yeah, even though she was playing first every time, it didn't alter my decision in, in the shot I had to hit into the green. Um, cliches, I think, are cliches because they're true. Um, they say in, in, in a match play situation like that, you've got to expect your opponent to make shots, mm-hmm. right? Expect. Yeah. The totally. expected, the unexpected. So she hits it in the mm-hmm. bunker um, and then and gets it up and down. Let's go to the second play. <laughs> Let's go. So now we go back to the 18th. Now we go back to 18. Mm-hmm. So we go back to 18 and again, I just stand up there and like, okay, same shot, same shot. And I just said to myself, you know, um, like my, my swing thought for the week was 40% to the top in terms of rhythm and pace because that kept me in rhythm. So that was my only thought on every shot for the week. So that's what I tried to do. Hit another great drive. And you hit another one down the middle. Um, but then we both hit poor seconds. Uh, halved with fives. And then, um, yeah, we went back. <laughs> By this point, um, it was getting dark. Um, I hit good drive. She hit a good drive. But then she went long, I think, or long left. And I was pin high all. I still can't even remember some of it, to be honest, because you get so lost in the moment. And then uh, I remember reading the putt and thinking, man, it's getting dark. This I don't know how much longer we have. And I had a putt, and to be honest, like two feet out, I thought I had it. And just died off at the hole. And then uh, NG made, um, made four. And we went back, and I said to Tanya, what time does it get dark in Scotland? She's like, oh, mate, it's dark forever. In, I mean, it's light forever in Scotland, like you were saying. And I'm like, it doesn't feel like it right now. No, look, I don't think people realize that when they're watching golf on TV, it looks brighter, but they on the cameras, they turn the irises up. It's actually a lot darker. And, and you could tell, Ashley, that you know I lived in Scotland for five years. I'm thinking, okay, it's getting colder the wind's picking up. The ball isn't going to fly. You mentioned it. I mean, six iron in, in regulation and then seven wood in the playoff. All right, so fourth playoff hole. So now you've played the 18th hole for the fifth time in the last hour and a half. Yeah. And I didn't even realize that we had played four holes once it was all done. So that just showed how in the moment I was, which was good. And obviously, Inji hit first and hit it in the bunker. And then I was like, all right, well, this is my shot, hopefully. Stand up. Stand up there, hit the tee shot, great. She obviously had to play out. She had a really good third shot in. And I was like, okay, you just got to hit the green. <laughs> I don't hit the green. <laughs> you know, and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and, and, and if you've never been there, um, 
I don't think people realize how narrow that little sliver of bunker mm. to the right of there. I mean, that's probably not even three, four steps yeah. across. Yeah, it's a yard and a half, maybe, you know, if two yards max. You, but you got like, you had a good, were you on the flat? Mm. Were you on a little downslope or a I was little on, upslope? I was on a little downslope, which, you know, I got in there and I was like, okay, this is, this is perfect. A little downslope, downwind. You know, if I commit to the shot, I only have to land it on one or two meters and it's going to roll out to the hole. So obviously on TV, uh, it looked really difficult. Obviously the moment and what you can accomplish if, you, if this pulls off is huge. But for, I think, most professional golfers, we would have stood there and most of us would have been comfortable trying to hit that shot. So that was your mindset. You're standing over it. You're in the fourth hole of a playoff to have a chance to win your first major championship. You just basically got up and they say all the sports psychologists play the shot you're playing one mm -hmm. shot at a time. So you just got into that bunker and said, okay, this is a pretty easy bunker shot. Um, stand up and hit it. I don't know if I said easy, but yeah. Well, you know, like my, I said, you know, Tanya pulled off a great line, exactly what you said, you know, saying the right things at the right time. Um, and she said, show them why you're number one in bunkers this season. So I was like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> I've um, talked to a couple of girls on the LPGA um, about um, interviewing. And, and I said, if you could take something from her game, what would you take? Everybody said your mm -hmm. tempo, but almost everybody said your bunker game as well. Yeah. <laughs> Ernie Els is a great bunker player. Yeah, um, he is. Gary. Lou Eustace is a great bunker player. Mm -hmm. Gary Player. I mean, I, I mean, it's the short game with the Spanish. They talk about the Spanish hands. Yeah. Um, I think that's mm -hmm. all bullshit. I just think there's some great shots. <laughs> but I, I've seen it up close. What is it about people in SA? And, and I mean, Trevor Immelman was a pretty good bunker player too. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Um, is something in the I water said, down there? I don't know. It's nothing in the sand. <laughs> you know, maybe I just say, you know, when I was a kid, that's all we did. I just used to chip in pats till it got dark. Um, so I don't know if it's just comes from us when we're kids that's get dropped off at the golf course and you chip in putts and that's what you do. So you're standing over how, how long was the putt? Three, four feet longer? Um, no, I was just under three feet. All right. And so talk me through the thought process. Are you <laughs> thinking all the cliches? I've had this putt to win a big tournament since I was a kid. Are you focused? Are you trying to turn your brain off? Um, one of the things I, I, I love about what I get to do is, um, I'll never, I'll never have that opportunity, right? I have to watch other people do that. So I'm always fascinated as to what is the mindset because I've watched players that I've been lucky enough to work with that have won major championships and I'm standing over going four feet and I can't even breathe. <laughs> and I, I honestly, I say that I've said this before on the podcast stuff. I don't have any idea how you, how you guys do. I, I don't. Because I know how hard it is to watch, right? I know how far it is outside the ropes, not hitting any shots. I know how nervous I am trying to watch a player win a tournament, let alone win a major championship. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand how you can even get your body. I mean, I've spilled drinks. I've missed my mouth before trying to drink <laughs> while watching one of the guys try and win. I've missed my mouth yeah. with the water and it's gone all over yeah. me. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think most people that were watching would have seen that everybody watching, and Dave, my husband particularly, was far more. Oh, it was unbelievable! I, I thought that was. I thought that was. <laughs> it was great. I thought that was amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, but I didn't. I think that's what's been so good is since I've started working on on the mental aspect. Um, if I was in that same situation four months ago, I don't think I would have been able to pull off any of it. Um, let alone stand over that putt and not think about this is what you've dreamt of as a kid. This is for the win. All I said to myself was what I'd said the whole week. All right, do your process, do your steps. And that is, and we've got me to have this routine, whereas I close the door on every step. So it goes from lining it up. You know, I plumb, that's another step, line the ball up. Okay, step back, close the door, close the door on every one. So you've completed every step. And then once once everything's completed, all you got to do is hit the pipe. So that's all I said to myself. And another thing I said is I do this drill every week. It's six feet drill. I start at six feet and every time I make it, I go in. So I go around the hole. I was like, all right, this, you do this drill every week and you don't miss it. So just think of your drill and get up and stroke it. I've, I've, I've never heard anyone talk 
say that before, but so the idea behind the process that you and um, your mental coach are doing, so you've got the process and the idea is to go through and basically tick the boxes off. And once they're ticked off, you leave them behind. Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. second guess the read. You make exactly. the read. Yeah. Whatever the read exactly is, it. you make it. Mm-hmm. Precisely. So that you're not in between because I found like, you know, so I was plumbing and then reading and then second guessing. Well, have I plumbed it right? Have I read it right? Well, no, you have to do everyone individually and close the door on every step. And then once you've lined it up, right, you've, you've done what you had to do. Now you just hit the putt. If it misses, well, was it a bad read? Was it a bad putt? Okay, then go and hit the next one. To have the opportunity to, to share that with your husband who basically is in the same world as you are, right? I mean, I mean if, if you're not in professional golf, if you're not a player, a caddy involved in that, I don't think you understand the significance, how hard you have to work to, to have the opportunity to win one of these. For you two to be able to, to share that moment, the fact that he caddies on the same tour as you do. I mean, that, that is just, and I, that's one of the things that I've, that, um, since I've started working more, um, I've spent a lot of time with Maureen Alex, who's a good friend of yours. Um, I saw all the pictures you, you, you she, <laughs> she, she messaged me after the party you, you guys, she had, and she's like, I'm still, yeah. hung, I'm still, I'm hungover. <laughs> but it's been cool to watch the, the relationships of the boyfriend, girlfriends, husbands, and wives that there's players and they're caddying for other people. Um, to get to share that with your husband, the fact that he does basically the same stuff that you do, that's got to be just an amazing experience for the two of you. Yeah, it, it was huge. And, you know, it's also a case of, you know, he gave up so much to come out here. Um, you know, when we started dating, we did like long distance for three years and it became too difficult. He said, well, let me come caddy for you. And I was like, no, that's not going to work. And um, I said, okay, well, take some leave from your job. We'll go to Australia for three weeks and let's see how it goes. And yeah, you see, he still hasn't gone back to that job. <laughs> um, three, three weeks but, turned into eight years on the bag. Yeah, eight years on the bag. And obviously many, and he was there for it all. Highs and lows. We won together uh, twice on the Ladies European Tour, which to win together is so special. Um, and then, yeah, for him to, he's part of the journey and part of the hard work that's gone into it. So it's also, you know, affirmation for him and for what he gave up to be out here with me and for it to all pay off. What is the feeling when the putt goes in? Is it relief? Is it, is it just, <laughs> are you just, I mean, at that point, you've got to probably just say, I'm just glad this thing's over. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I don't know. You don't really know because it's just so many emotions go through you at first. It was like, I think relief. And then it was like, oh my gosh, I've actually done this. Um, and then it starts to hit you with like, wow, you're a major champion. This is what you used to stand on the putting green in the dark to hold putts. Um, and on that third playoff hole, I was reading the putt. And one of my good friends that I used to play junior golf with, he obviously texts me saying congrats. And I thought of the moment when we were kids and we used to putt on the dock on Friday evenings for Cokes, you know. Um, and I used to say, and I said to myself, well, if it didn't bother you in, don't let it bother you now because as professionals, we start to let those things get to us. Oh, it's too dark. We shouldn't be out here. You know, you didn't let it bother you in, so just carry on. Um, and obviously everybody just ran on, which was so cool to have so many friends there. I had family there from South Africa. Um, and then the emotions just obviously overtook. Okay. Marina told me you're not a big drinker. Um, no. Cam Smith, who won the Open Championship. The first thing Cam, if, if anybody knows Cam Smith, <laughs> he's, he's going to try and figure out how many, how many beers he can get in that thing. Mm-hmm. Have you had alcohol out of the trophy? Thanks to Marina, yes. <laughs> Marina made sure that was going to happen. Um, you know, so we had, I had obviously a few sips on the Sunday, but we got done so late. And then on Thursday this past week, uh, we went around to Marina, um, had a little celebration. Uh, Kari was there too. So it was, it was very cool. And don't worry, Dave's, Dave knows that two pints uh, go into the trophy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> what is, I mean, so, now what? I mean, you, you've proven to yourself that you can win a major championship. Um, you're going to be a major champion regardless. So now that puts you in 
the conversation that when the next batch of majors come around, you're going to be in that conversation of someone that has won a major that wanted in style, wanted against, you know, one of the best players on the LP digital. Do you now reset your focus, reset your goals? Um, and you know, what is, what is the goals for the rest of the year? I think I still need to kind of sit back and, and really look at it. Um, I don't feel like I've had enough time to process goals for the rest of the year. Um, but I know that when I get to a tournament, there's going to be a few more eyes on me, a bit more expectation. But And yeah, I will be in the conversation. Obviously, it gives me the belief to know I can win on the LPGA. And I think in the fashion that I, I won it with the grit and the determination um, to come back after that triple uh, makes me believe even more so. So I think next time I am in contention, um, I just know that, that I'll be able to I don't know if you're going to pull it off, but I can handle it. And um, I think next year will be definitely reassessing goals and, and choosing the right tournaments to play in order to to play well. You also have, a, I think now, a, a, a very unique and amazing opportunity to inspire the next generation of female golfers from SA. I mean, obviously, you said you mentioned your golfing heroes, Ernie, Gary Player, I mean, Retief, all of the great, great men that have come before you. Um, but I think it is so important for junior golfers to have someone to look up to, to say, listen, she's from Johannesburg. I'm from Johannesburg. She, she, I'm a member at the same club that she's a member at. And, and, and are you aware that you have the opportunity now to inspire this next generation of young um, female golfers in South Africa? Yeah, I mean, for me to be able to, Put on that so-called pedestal is it's a huge honor and I, i'm hoping it will inspire many many young girls in south africa to take up the game um, and i think what was so great is in south africa we don't get all the coverage of the lpga events only in the last few maybe three or four years as it started to get the coverage and obviously it's also most of the time tape delayed at strange hours and i think the great thing about the women's open it's one hour time change and so many people were tuned in from south africa so they actually got to witness it and live it with me um which i think is why the the love and the support i've had from south africa has been even more than than usual lastly uh did any of the the golfing heroes you've got ernie gary Plow, did any of them reach out to you and say congrats and and that i mean hopefully they did Yeah, no, they didn't. Gary actually sent me a voice note after the Friday to say he'd seen I was leading, um, you know, gave me a few little good tips uh, to stay patient. Everybody's going to hit bad shots to keep my head still when I'm putting. <laughs> um, it's his favorite one. And then uh, to think win, you know. So, and then yeah, Ernie reached out. Um, you know, Eric obviously reached out. A lot of the, the South African players, uh, Brandon Grace. So, no, it's, it's all been very cool. And do you feel like now you've arrived and you belong? I do. I think it's going to probably only really hit me when I rock up to Canada next week, not having seen a lot of players. And then I do feel that, you know, hopefully when I get to the tournament, they will, I will have a little bit of a different feeling and, and belief in myself when, when I rock up at a tournament week in and week out now. Well, I watched, you know, the entire back nine. Um, you know, I, I thought the way that you handled what happened on 15. Um, I, I always think that, you know, when you're watching golfers, how they handle adversity, what happens. I mean, anybody, when, when you're playing good, when you're hitting good shots, it's easy, right? I mean, everybody, everybody's good at that. But I, I really thought the way that you handled that and the way you played the last three holes and then the focus that you had um, down the stretch in, in, in the playoff, um, You win majors, or a lot of people win majors, but winning them in, in the fashion that you did, um, that's a hell of a, an accomplishment. You must be really, really proud. And uh, I, I think it's going to be really, really cool because you've got to think the next time you get a chance to win a golf tournament, you're going to go, this, <laughs> I can get this done. <laughs> Hopefully that's how I feel. But yeah, somebody asked me on another podcast, actually, well, you know, You know, if you thought back, would it have been better or nicer to obviously have walked up 18 with a few shot lead? I said, yeah, it would have been better for everybody's nerves. But I think the way it went down, it's going to be far more memorable. And um, like you say, when you stand up at another tournament, hopefully it'll feel like you've got this. 
you're a you're now a millionaire in U.S. dollars, <laughs> but give us the rand on how oh much you won, how many millions of rand, <laughs> South African rand, did you win? It's got to be. I'm thinking it's got to be close to twenty million. Uh, I think it's like fifteen to one at the moment, so probably just over fifteen million. But hey, we don't get all that money, you know. It's all some taxes, and we've got issues. You can pulse the pay, but obviously, I mean, it's a huge pressure off my back um, to have that, and uh, you know, it's life changing. Like I said, we don't get to play for that money on the LPGA, and for me to win that as my first tournament is, is huge. Well, congrats! It's um, it was a hell of a accomplishment. Um, thanks for talking to me, and uh, we'll look forward to um, how about it, uh, teach Marina how to get out of a bunker, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Great to talk to you, Ashley. Yes. So that was Ashley Buhai, major champion for the rest of her life. And I think that's just such a cool thing, you know, to, to be able to work your entire life towards a goal and, and to, to be able to come away um, the way she won. Um, you could hear her talking about it, all the crazy things that goes into winning a major champion. Uh, major championship and uh, she got it done. So hats off to her and uh, really looking forward to seeing um, if this is a springboard for her to, um, you know, continue to win tournaments and to win more major championships. Um, I didn't put questions up uh, for the pod this week because I didn't want to be inundated with live questions. Uh, Hell of a week last week. Rory McIlroy, what a performance. Um, Scotty Scheffler, those two battling it out down the stretch. I mean, Rory has been front and center um, as kind of the spokesperson for the PGA Tour. And Scotty Scheffler had a breakout year and just played fantastic golf. Um, Disappointed um, for him. Um, I'm still not too sure about that format. Um, I wasn't sure about it when Dustin Johnson won a couple years ago. Um, I was working with Brooks Kepka when Brooks had a chance to win the FedEx Cup. I still can't figure it out. Um, I know they, they've got to try and do something. You know, they're trying to figure out a way to weight it so that, you know, the play that you've had um, at the beginning of the year, throughout the year, um, you go in there with, you know, a little bit of a cushion. But you can miss the first – you miss the cut in the first FedEx Cup playoff event and still win the FedEx. So, um I think they still need to tweak that, but Rory McIlroy, I mean, he plays unbelievable golf. Um, I love his golf swing. I love the way he plays golf. Um, I'll sit on a driving range and watch Rory McIlroy hit golf balls all day long. And, uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler opened the door for him, and Rory, he's done that before. Um, That's his third um, FedEx Cup championship um, where he's, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's come from – behind in all of them. I know he came from behind in this one. I know he came from behind when, when he beat Brooks in 19 and, uh, you know, just a dominant performance and just a hell of a hell of a player. And to, to, to have three FedEx cups to do something that even the great Tiger Woods hasn't done. Um, I take my hat off, hats off to him because, you know, I said it in the first episode, um, of the son of a butch podcast, my dad, when Rory's firing on all cylinders, you, you can make a, a case that that he's the best player in the game because he can make golf look easy. He can do things that other players can't. He can drive the golf ball in places other players can't. And um, what a performance. And I think Rory played with the weight of the entire PGA Tour and all the boys in, in Ponte Vedra. He played with them on his shoulders. He put the PGA Tour on his back this year and went out and got it done. So hell of a performance and uh, great to see Rory winning golf tournaments. Um, six new guys coming to live this week. I think the biggest one is Cam Smith. If you're following the live PJ tour battle, I think when you lose the players champion and the open champion and the number two player in the world, um, it's hard to continue to say that, you know, live is a flash in the pan and it's, it's going away. Hopefully, and I keep saying this, hopefully everybody can just get back to playing golf. You want to stay on the PJ Tour? Stay on the PJ Tour. If you want to go play live, go play live. Um, but I saw a tweet today, which I thought was pretty interesting um, from Kyle Porter. He said, with the addition of Cam Smith, Liv's collection of golfers have won 12 of the last 24 majors. 
So this narrative that it's a old folks home, it's a bunch of has-beens and there's a bunch of people that can't play golf. I think if that's your stance, then um, you're not looking at it through an objective lens. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how Cam plays this week. Um, I'm looking forward to another live event this week. Um, PJ Tours on um, their season's ended and we'll be starting back up. But um, should be really, really interesting to see um, the fourth live event um, and see how it plays out. Son of a Butch comes to you every Wednesday. I want to thank everybody for listening. And again, if you haven't gone back and listened to the episode with my dad, Butch Harmon, check it out because it is a good one. We will see you next week.